This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. If you haven't heard about Anchor, let me tell you, it's the easiest way to make a podcast. Check this out. It is free. No, I'm serious. It's free, 100%. There are creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. Anchor then distributes that podcast for you, and you can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many more. You can also make money from that podcast with no minimum listenership. It's everything you need to make a podcast all in one place. So download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started today. Hey, listeners, check out a new podcast called Yes, Maybe, No with Andrew Streeter and Yeti Blanc. Every week, we'll take a topic from sports, music, and pop culture and break it down beyond the surface. Whether it's the latest hot take or an ongoing story, Yes, Maybe, No will discuss our insights, opinions, and maybe a hot take or two of our own. Will you find us interesting? Will you find us entertaining? Will more people than our mothers listen to us? Yes, Maybe, No! Listen to Yes, Maybe, No. Subscribe, download, rate, review, or find podcasts are sold. Or, uh, download it. And we are back on Lower After Hours. Tonight we are talking once again with the other JT, Jeremy Tashin. Jeremy, thank you so much for taking the time and joining us this evening. Of course. Thank you guys for having me back again. You, you know how much I love being on here. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, and like, like we've said hundreds of times anytime that we are recording you are more than welcome to join so um i will take you up on that there will come a time now that uh now that this marlin season is over and i have a little more free time that is going to be something that starts happening so i'm excited to take you guys up on that offer perfect man uh, i'm going to go ahead and pass this over here to ant to kick us off all right hi everyone <laughs> this is ant at styano at twitter um thanks for listening we're joined tonight as Beep said by JT. We've also got Pam at Halloween Basic and Beep Count at Beep Count on Twitter. So, Jeremy, unfortunately, the Marlin season didn't end the way we had hoped, or many of us had hoped, at least. Um, you know, what's your what's your thought on what happened in the, with the Brave series? They sort of just rolled right over. Them. Yeah, I mean, so this series, and I, and it's hard to to start with the negative because there was so much positive in this Marlin season, but addressing, you know, the actual uh, way that it ended in dealing with, you know, a Braves team that was just far superior. That's all it was a Braves team. That was a far superior team. That lineup from top to bottom is arguably the best in baseball um, and are, and could be good enough to win them a world series. It's that good. Uh, on the offensive side of the ball, and their three young pitchers all threw the ball 
pretty well. Um, ironically, the the pitcher that struggled most for uh, Atlanta was Max Freed, who was their ace really headed into everything. Um, and so he, you felt like in the, the first four or five innings of that, uh, of that game one that the Marlins could hang around. They had a 4-1 lead. Like It felt like they were really in it, and instantly it was deflating um, when Sandy Alcantara came back out for his uh, seventh inning of work, fourth time through the order, and everything sort of fell apart for the Marlins. And, you know, it sort of sucked the life out of them the rest of the way. You had a chance to win game one. You go in game two, you don't hit. You go in game three, you don't hit. And that lineup, as as scrappy as they were and as as evolving as they were, which I will say they had multiple different um, they had multiple different ways of of scoring runs throughout the year. You know, at one point they were all small ball. At one point when they got some of their guys back, they're hitting home runs. They really evolved a lot, and that that's credit to Don Mattingly and the coaching staff for allowing them to. Um, but for them to be in a space where they just couldn't hit, uh, it, you're not going to win games if you can't score runs. It's as simple as that, and they were trying to do the small ball thing in the playoffs and it, it just, it didn't work, but it doesn't take anything away from the remarkable season that they had um, an overachieving team in every aspect in terms of, you know, personal seasons for certain guys in their growth and development, certain guys who reached the majors for the first time and a team that was not supposed to compete at all, ultimately getting, you know, three games into the season, losing 60% of their roster to COVID. And then, coming back and still finishing the season over 500. I mean, there were some beautiful moments and, and it was an honor to cover that team this year. Yeah, they really seemed to sort of, I don't know, embody that sort of scrappy team sort of on and off the field. Like you said, losing 16 of your, your team to COVID and yeah. just being able to plug in new guys and survive. Right. You know? Right. It was one of those things where, I mean, everyone's told the story already, but there were moments where Don Mattingly had just met a pitcher for, you know, a minute before the game. And the next time he's talking to the guy, it's on the mound with the bases loaded, bringing him in in a scenario that he's never even seen the guy throw. Right. While Francisco Cervelli, the backup catcher, is catching these games because Jorge Alfaro is the first one who got COVID. And Cervelli ultimately ended up missing the second half of the year. He was arguably the team's MVP, I, even even missing all the time. He was arguably the most valuable player for the Marlins this season for what he did when they first came back from their uh, stay in Philadelphia. And he wasn't even on the postseason roster because he missed the last 20 games with his final concussion of his career as he just retired over the weekend. So, I mean, every little thing, I mean... Something that we all like forget about is Harold Ramirez, who I know is not a household name across Major League Baseball by any means, but opening day, he was their cleanup hitter and right fielder. And by the third game of the season, he's out with COVID. He came back for one game and then hurt his leg and missed the rest of the year. That's just a bat that they didn't have. Then they didn't have Starling Marte. Those are like two of the most, you know, and, and we can say Ramirez, you can take out obviously, cause he wasn't there all year, but you think of what the roster could have been, right? He's more of an example, like Mike Soroka, right? Mike Soroka, if he's there for Atlanta, maybe we're having a different conversation altogether too, cause he's so dominant. So I'll get rid of Ramirez, but missing Starling Marte, the best hitter on the team for a series like this, where they couldn't score runs was obviously just too much to overcome. Yeah. It's unfortunate because, you know, I mean, for me, 
obviously I'm a Yankee fan and, and I want them to win every game, but right. compelling series and compelling stories in the playoffs. I mean, you know, that's the lore of October. You get these things that like out of nowhere happen and you're like, what? How, right. Who? This right. guy did what? Like, you know, you know, and mm-hmm. it's just, I don't know. It's, it, 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 I mean, I'm not a Marlins fan, but I was definitely sad to see them lose because, you know, sure. they were such a good story or they were an inspiring story with everything they had gone through. Absolutely. Yeah, I, I, I know we'll move to the next question in a second, but, I, you know, Braves and Dodgers is going to be an incredible series and I'm sure we'll get to it. But man, could you imagine with this Dodgers team, with their run differential, with everything that they are this year, taking on that Marlins team? Like that would have been the NLC yet. Like it is kind of insane to think about now. Like now that the the run is over and the adrenaline and the high of that season is gone, and you just look at what the last starting lineup was, and you go, that would have had to face Walker Bueller and Clayton Kershaw and Dustin May, and then stop that lineup. Okay, sure. You know, so maybe it's better that things just end here, and it's an NL East rival that's owned the division for a number of years, and now. Don Mattingly made the comparison himself, which I thought was very interesting to make, but he basically called them, if they're if the Marlins are going to be Michael Jordan, the Braves are the bad boy Pistons. And eventually, after multiple bouts, the Marlins will have to overcome the Braves. No different than those 90s Bulls had to overcome the Pistons. And I thought that was interesting that Mattingly sort of made that comparison himself. Definitely, definitely. It was a very apt comparison, especially you talked about this the last time we spoke how they were just young and just didn't know they shouldn't have, like, they didn't know yeah. they shouldn't have beaten the Cubs. They just right. like, no, exactly. we're going to play and we, we're just going to throw the ball. And, oh, God, it's seven innings of, no of you know, shut up ball. Oh, yeah. who knew? Like, you know, I don't know any better. Right. I've been here at six minutes. Mm-hmm. That's right. exactly what it was. All right, anyway, we're going to throw it out to Beep. Go ahead, Beep. Thanks a lot, Ant. Appreciate it. Um, Jeremy, thanks again for joining us tonight. Um, you kind of touched on this uh, when you were just uh, talking here about teams that had literally no expectations. Um, Hmm. You know, it kind of reminds me of a team like the 91 Braves or the 1991 twins going literally worst to first. Um, Yeah. How would you quantify the Marlins success thinking about how they had literally no expectations going into the season and then everything that kind of led up to the first week of the season and where they finished. So it's hard to make any sort of comparison to history because not only was this a shortened season, but it was also an expanded playoff. Now, I I do want to point out, while the Marlins were the sixth seed, had the season been coming down to those final games where a six seed wouldn't qualify, maybe those games in New York go differently. You manage them differently after you've clinched and the Cardinals would have had to play two more games. So there's no guarantee that the Marlins would not have made the playoffs if there were just five seeds. That's just something to think about. Now, uh, the shortened season does sort of make it difficult to compare, but when you talk about a team with certain expectations and where they're supposed to be uh, on swings and misses on the podcast that I'm on, we've talked multiple times about the Marlins build as they call it. They don't call it a rebuild. They call it a build because they inherited something that was nothing in their minds. And so they, you know, they sold off the, the players that they could for the value that they could get. And they started building from the ground up. And that was going into the 2018 season. And we've been talking about on our podcast that 2021, was the first time that we expected the Marlins to even be a competitive team. Like, 
they were going to go out there and, and sometimes sweep the Mets or sometimes, you know, take two out of three from Atlanta, right? And that was certainly not expected until next year. In acquiring Jesus Aguilar and, and uh, you know, Corey Dickerson and Matt Joyce, those weren't entirely, like, inspiring signings at the time. Corey Dickerson was. Corey Dickerson actually sort of underwhelmed this season, but that's kind of another story. But Joyce and Aguilar were not supposed to be what they ultimately were this season. They were they both overachieved. Uh, Joyce was never supposed to be an everyday player this season, and that's ultimately how it worked out. So they took a bunch of guys, slapped them together, and then after overachieving the first weekend and taking two of three from the Phillies, 60% of their team gets sick, including Sandy Alcantara. Their ace, right? Pablo Lopez is the one that held it together and actually made every start this season. He's the only pitcher in their starting lineup that did. So they lost their ace and they lost their number two, who ultimately never made a start this season. They traded him for Starling Marte and Caleb Smith. So this team just sort of mishmashed together, starting Francisco Cervelli, Chad Wallach starting in the playoffs. If you told me before the season, that the Marlins were going to make the playoffs and that they would ultimately start Magnary Sierra and Chad Wallach in those playoff games, I would have told you, I don't know what I would have told you, but I would not have believed that we were in a real timeline. Like, and maybe we're not. Maybe COVID sent us into some alternate universe on this simulation, and this is all not real. But that's how insane this overachieving was for the Marlins it's like it's it's not fathomable to think that this was going to happen is there a better name in this year's playoffs than Magnera Sierra absolutely not no come on Magnera Sierra and it took me so long to figure out how to pronounce Magnera Sierra because you almost say it with like a w instead of an r Danny Alvarez, who's, who does swings and misses in Espanol, is the one who taught me. We sat there in the press box. This was last year, maybe two years ago, but I think it was last year. And he was starting in a random game in like September. And I was, I said it for the first time and did not even come close. It was like Magnuris or like something terrible. And we sat there over and over, sort of like, uh, you know, you know, the really bad uh, Pig Panther movie with Steve Martin, where it's like hamburger, hamburger. It was kind of like that. Like I just could not get Manyawi Sierra, but that's that's how it's pronounced. I, I've got I've got Danny's approval there. Awesome, thanks a lot, JT. Appreciate <laughs> it. Yeah, no problem. Thanks, JT. All right, so we're gonna throw it over to Pam out of uh, VA and see where she's heading. This. Hey, Jeremy. Thanks so hey, much Pam. for joining us. Of course. Um, two questions. Um, a current playoff team question and then maybe if we get back around to it a team that's out um the astros Uh why are they so good all of a sudden like now (laughs) that it really matters and we're really into playoff baseball they're playing really well yeah that's because they're a really damn good baseball team uh i you know something that's so funny about the whole um cheating scandal with the Astros and what everybody expects to happen with a team that was caught cheating like that is you immediately expect a downturn, right? In terms of production. Remember when like the Patriots had Spygate and then the Patriots had Deflategate and then they were, you know, still the best team in football after both of those cheating scandals. The Astros are a great 
baseball team. You can only take advantage of knowing what pitch is coming if you can absolutely mash. Like it, like going back to the last question, like I think if the Marlins were doing what the Astros were doing, they still would not have won a World Series because the lineup is not talented enough to take advantage of that. You've still got to hit 95 miles an hour. You've still got to hit you know, a slider low and away, even if you know it's coming. So it, it's, it's, those guys are great baseball players. And so now they played 60 games. They kind of got to shake out and, and they're lucky, man, are they lucky that there are no fans? Cause I think that's a huge factor in all of this. They would be being, they would be getting booed mercilessly in, in road parks, but you know, they did just enough to sort of sneak in in this weird format. And I'm sure that had to just kind of be a big sigh of relief. And now you take this really talented team playing with house money going, all right, if we lose in the first round, everybody expects it. Nobody's really going to remember anybody in these playoffs besides the Marlins and whoever wins the World Series because the Marlins were the fluke and whoever wins it gets the World Series championship. So the Astros were kind of coming in with no pressure. And when you're going in with no pressure and you're as talented as they are, things are going to turn around. And in a weird way, I'm kind of enjoying it. Like, I'm, I'm glad that when I was watching Alex Bregman rake throughout the playoffs or George Springer or these guys that were so fun to watch when they were at their best, I'm kind of glad to see the fact that, like, all right, maybe not all of it was fraudulent, you know? Yeah. Awesome. All right, I'll save my other one if there's time to come back around. Thank you so much. <laughs> Thanks, man. Jeremy, to expand on that and go the other way, what sure. does it say about the A's? Once again, the sort of playoff disappointment, it's like you can build it, you can get there, you can be the smartest or the second smartest guy in the room, and yet you can't ever get past the hump, and it's not just running into the Yankees. It's like everybody. They right. Yeah, I mean, it, gosh. If you're the A's, the way you have to think about it, like if you're an A's fan or if you're even an A's player or executive is it's a fluke 60 game season with two out of three in the first round. And we never would have been in that scenario. And you can sort of make the excuses that every team that lost in the first round that underachieved felt right. Like when the Reds lost in the first round, they get to just be happy they made it, you know, based off type of season they had. When the Cubs lost, they had to like take this long, hard look in the mirror and instead, they can also just say, all right, but weird year, 60 games, two games. They only had to beat us twice, not three times. You know, you can make those types of arguments. Um, and the A's, it's a strange thing because it doesn't make sense that they wouldn't. They're not like, like the Rays, for example. It's shocking to me that the Rays are as successful as they are in the playoffs because they just play this strange brand of baseball a lot of the time. And and it wasn't so much the case this year, but with the openers and the way they use their bullpen and the way they construct their lineup, it doesn't make sense that that would translate from the regular season to the playoffs as well as it does. And the A's, while they're known as like Moneyball, they also have constructed a really good team, like a really good team. And so it doesn't really make a lot of sense that they're not having success. It just sort of feels the wrong matchup at the wrong time like every year. <laughs> yes, every year it does sort of feel that way. And it's well, a shame because those Kelly Green uniforms are the most beautiful, you know, and I just want to see them more. And we get deprived of that on a national stage. 
right. We're going to throw it out <laughs> to our boy Jeff in L.A. I'm sure he's going to want to talk Dodgers with you. I'm just not a fan. Right. I like the I like the uniforms. Oh, the I love those uniforms. With the elephant? I just think the other ones are, I don't know. They're just... Uh, <sighs> Mm. You like that black are... on black, like we covered last time. So you know, I, you, oh. your your uh, yeah, your uniform uh, cred is is suspect. Mm. Jeff, out to you. Okay, well, thank you for joining us. And uh, first of, of all, those uniforms are god awful. Um, oh. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm devastated um, by you guys. <laughs> but but uh, I am the resident annoying Dodgers fan, um, right. so I had to join because. Uh, as my Lakers are about to close things out tonight, and as I, right, foresee- you don't get to say that too. Ooh. You don't get to do that. Also, I'm literally wearing a heat shirt as we're having this. Why are you doing patronizing? Well, I, it's my role. I'm annoying LA guy right now. I mean, all I right, apologize. all right. Thank you, Smith. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, not right now. Just kind of routinely. But anyway, um, so my question is about the Dodgers closing situation and. Mm what you would do with Kenley and do you trust him at all? Do you give him, do you give him, you know, do you put him in if you got a three run lead and let him give up one and call it or like, where are you sitting with him right now? Yeah. So that's like a a huge problem. Um, And it, it stinks because the Dodgers are otherwise a perfect baseball team. Like they're they're and their bullpen is pretty perfectly constructed too if Kenley was just doing what he needed to do. So with that being said, I, th- I think you just need to hope that you do encounter a scenario like you just talked about where it's a three or four run lead going into the ninth. And so you can bring him out there in a fresh inning, right? Not with base runners on in a fresh inning, feeling comfortable. And all right, if he gives up one, but they win, then he can feel comfortable and go, all right, I didn't blow it. A lot of the time with closers, it's all mental. Like his stuff hasn't changed. It's mental. And, and you, it's all with, with closers. Oftentimes, if you don't see a, a major dip in velocity, what you see is a lack of precision on hitting spots. And that's mental more so than physical. Yes, your mechanics are a problem and can be, but when you're a closer and you've been there as long as Kenley Jansen has, he knows what he's doing. And so getting a little confidence, it's sort of like when, a, when you're hopeful to have a player sort of get to the foul line so he can hit a couple free throws so maybe you can get his jumper going. It's sort of like that. You bring him in in a scenario, and maybe you don't close with him. Maybe, maybe a blessing in disguise would be a scenario where the, the Dodgers lose game one, and it's a, you know, they're down four to two, and you could bring Jansen in, and he gets a clean inning mm-hmm. and just feels confident and can come back the next day and feel better. So... I wouldn't say you remove him from the role, but I think you do have to hope you can bring him in. Gosh, you don't want to bring him in in a one-run game. Yeah. All right. Well, appreciate it. Thank you. Of course. Thanks, Jeff. Now we're going to throw it out to our foreign correspondent, Morgan in Australia, who seemed to have uh, switched allegiances since the last time. We had nice a- hat. Hi, guys. Yeah. Big time. I only can here. That's <laughs> how it works here. You just jump on whenever. Um, but like I did the reverse, you lost. So now I'm on. Um, no, Perfect. I bought this hat for my brother four years ago and I bought it fitted and he had a big head and it didn't fit him. So I, I found it yesterday. Um, so I thought I'd wear it. Shout um, out where did the Cubs go from Marlins here? Hat. Where did the Cubs yeah, go orange from Marlins here? Hat. Yeah. It was, where did the Cubs go? I mean, look, 
I believe like most of their roster is free agents. <laughs> um, and that's gotta be a, it's a weird space to be for Theo Epstein specifically, who historically has been a guy who capitalized on bang for buck. And so I don't, as, as much as the Cubs can spend, I kind of don't think they're going to spend on every one of these players. Um, because some of them underachieved now 60 game season. Like I've continued to say, it's really hard to judge guys based off of that. Like, I don't think Marcelo Zuna for the full season is what Marcelo Zuna has been for 60 games this season. You wear down eventually, but, uh, those guys all underachieved. Uh, the only guys who I think like are must, must, must keep forever are Anthony Rizzo and Javi Baez. And I know Javi Baez underachieved offensively this year, but those are two guys that if you have them on your, in your franchise, you cannot let them go. Um, that's at least my opinion with the way they are defensively and offensively. Um, but I could see the Cubs letting a couple guys go and sort of going maybe the Braves route of the late, like early, the late early 2000s, if that makes sense, when Freddie Freeman first came up and was a great player, but Chipper Jones had now retired. And so they sort of let things get bad, but kept a couple veterans who, you know, were core pieces and they got to survive the rebuild and ultimately come out the other side. And so you could do sort of a quasi rebuild rebuild if you're the Cubs. Okay. Um, that sounds terrifying. <laughs> yes, it does. Yes, it does. Cause it's the type of thing you never want to flirt with winning. And that's exactly what that would be doing. And that's always scary. It's what the last like four years of being a Heat fan was where you were like, are we getting better and younger or are we still trying to compete? I don't really know. And it ultimately worked out for them. It's worked out for other teams like the Braves. So you can do that. Let a couple guys go, call a couple guys off, trade a couple arms. It's possible in baseball to, to stay relevant even when you're rebuilding a little bit if you keep your key pieces. But... You know, if you let too much go, that could be problematic. Yeah, I'm a long-term Heat fan as of the change of the hat. Yeah, also, also a Heat hat. I really appreciate it, Morgan. This is making me yeah. feel much more yeah. comfortable than Jeff did. I'm not the kind of person that usually just jumps on a bandwagon, but these two hats have been sitting here for four years. So I'm going to get used <laughs> out of them today. Perfect. Um, so I'm sorry that I just sunk your ship because the Heat are gone now. <laughs> That's how it works. Yeah, you, yeah it's perfect. But, um, I just wanted to be on your side for once. Uh, the green is perfect. Perfect color, green. Love it. Oh, thanks. I, I appreciate it. I think so too. Mm. Okay. Bye. Thank you. So, Jeremy, to expand on that quickly for the Cubs. Yes. Do you think they – when is their goodwill of winning run out, given they went 100-plus years without winning? Uh, or are we such it. fickle fans that, you know, yeah, they're going to start banging the thing. How can you fire, you know, Madden and let him go and blah, blah, blah. Yeah. I mean, look, I think if, if, if next year, I, it's hard. Theo Epstein's got a really tough sell job to do regard, no matter what it is that he does. Right. Because if they stand pat and they just resign all their guys and they underachieve again next year, he looks like a lazy general manager. And that's never been what Theo Epstein is. It's not, it's, he doesn't, he overachieves constantly. And so it might be more that the player's time for goodwill has run out in his mind than even Cubs fans having a run out with him and, and, and their direction for the ball club. So it's, it's pretty difficult. I, I don't know. Yeah, I think it's hard. Like I was saying, I think we're fickle fans. But now we're going to go out to John of Miami to sort of close this out here. John, over to hey, you. JT, how are you? What's up, man? How you doing? 
hanging in there. Um, looking forward to this heat game tonight. And, um, Heck yes. So as a sporadic baseball watcher, um, okay. what, what's the Marlins team next year going to look like? You know, they, they, yeah. they brought up a lot of people. A lot of people went down with, with uh, illness and sickness. And um, yeah. what do you think the outlook for this coming year is going to be? How, how, does, how do they uh, continue this, this success that they had um, this year? And how do they attract more, more watchers, more eyeballs like mine mm-hmm. or, or others? Uh, I'll tell you this. This town roots for winners. So if you start winning, they'll, people will watch, people will go to games. It's about having something to do, not really caring about the team, right? But when the team's competitive, those become events. They're parties in Miami. And now that there's an indoor stadium too, like that's a real thing that's going to happen eventually. Eventually, not, not quite yet, but it'll get there. Um, as I know that we are dwindling, I will give you the easy, basic, just one, two, three is things that can happen. Uh, the starting rotation will look very similar to what you saw. You will see Sandy Alcantara. You will see Pablo Lopez. You will see Sixto Sanchez. You will see likely Eliezer Hernandez. And I would bet one young arm, either Trevor Rogers, Braxton Garrett, one of those guys. Um, you could see some of the younger arms also up in the bullpen. As for the lineup, it's going to be pretty much the same. Uh, second base is the most interesting position battle because Jazz Chisholm and Isan Diaz will both compete for it. And I think Jazz Chisholm is going to win it. And that's going to make Isan Diaz's career really interesting. Uh, and then what the Marlins really need to do is add a power bat. Um, they need to go out in free agency and add one more power bat. They can either DH or a catcher that hits for power. Obviously, the description would be JT Romuto. I don't see that happening. I don't see them overpaying. Um but yeah, they need to add a power bat to their lineup. I think Nelson Cruz would be a terrific fit. Excellent. Yeah. And Thanks. so I guess we're going to just uh, wrap up here. Um, we'll start really quick with a thank you, JT. Three, two, one. Thank, thank you, JT. Thank you, JT. Thank you, JT. Sorry about the heat. Uh, Pamela didn't boo. say thank you. I did. Thank you, JT. <laughs> thank you, guys. This is great. As always, it was a pleasure. And, uh, you know, we'll try to do this again once we get to the next round of playoffs. If you're still Absolutely. Cool. That sounds great. Wonderful. I'll talk to you guys then. Thank you very much. All right. All right. Bye. See you guys later. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening to this episode of Lauer After Hours. You can always reach us on Twitter at Lauer After Hours or Instagram at Lauer After Hours. We're available wherever you get podcasts, so don't forget to download, subscribe, review, and rate five stars.
If you're struggling with alcohol or drugs, Recovery Centers of America can help. RCA's local inpatient and outpatient programs are founded on science and delivered with heart from an expert caring team who will inspire and guide you every step of the way. Go to rcahelp.com slash podcast for more information on how to get treatment. At RCA, you'll be in a community that builds connections and fosters support from peers and RCA's team of medical professionals. At RCA's state-of-the-art campuses, they tailor your treatment to you and also offer specialized programs for patients with history of trauma or relapse, for young adults, for adults 50-plus, for the LGBTQ plus community, a confidential program for first responders and service members, and a faith-based program. Recovery Centers of America accepts patients 24-7 and is in network with most insurance providers. Don't wait. Go to rcahelp.com slash podcast for help. rcahelp.com slash podcast.